Pushkin. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is accelerating innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at tmobile.com slash now. Did you know some travel credit cards offer 10 times points on your spending? Don't miss out on big rewards for your next trip. NerdWallet lets you compare smart travel credit cards side by side, curated by an expert team of finance nerds. What could future you do with better travel rewards? A free flight? A room upgrade? Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. I'm Dana Goodyear. Lost Hills is back with another Season 2 bonus episode. This one comes courtesy of our tip line, where a few months ago, I got the kind of email from a stranger that I live for. Will there be more episodes regarding Fred Rayler? The sender asked. I worked with Jean the day she drowned. Jean, as in Jean Rayler, Fred's first wife, the mother of his daughters, Heidi and Kirsten. I'd been searching for someone who could shed light on that day. Friday, October 15, 1976, when Jean, a flight attendant for United, flew from LAX to Chicago O'Hare and back, went home to Malibu, got in the hot tub with Fred to unwind, and then somehow ended up drowning. Her death wasn't investigated as a homicide until Fred's second wife, Verna, and his eight-year-old stepson, Doug, drowned under equally suspicious circumstances less than five years later. My name's Karen McLean, and I was a flight attendant for United Airlines. Karen McLean's the one that wrote that letter. She told me she'd stumbled on the podcast totally by accident. My daughter put Spotify on my phone, and I I am so lacking in technology and stuff. And I was just kind of uh, browsing through and I came across this and I saw Verna and Doug and I thought, I wonder if this is about Jean. Karen flew with Jean just twice, once the Sunday before her drowning and then on the very day she drowned. We flew Chicago turns. It was when we were first able to be moms. And we only worked two days a week, and we were home every night. So it was a great way to to be a mom and still have a job. But we'd check in like at 6.45 in the morning and fly to Chicago at 7.45, sit there for a couple hours, and then fly back the same day. So we were gone for about 12 hours. 
And then um, we'd get on the tram, go over to the parking lot, and go home. I normally got home about 7.30 at night. So, you know, it was just a long day. Most of us were young moms that did the Chicago turns. It was pretty much, I don't remember anybody that wasn't a mom, you know, flying those trips. Those flights, Flight 100 from LAX to Chicago and Flight 111 from Chicago back to LAX, were always packed. It was mostly businessmen. Um, At that time, you know, it was before uh, computers. So every, you know, there was a, a lot of business travel. In fact, in the 60s, we had trips that were just primarily men from Chicago to Newark. And they were all men trips. And United catered to them. They'd have all these little gifts that they'd give all these men and stuff. Um, But it was basically businessmen that traveled back and forth all the time in first class. Karen remembers that the Sunday before Jean drowned, Jean was working in coach. It was the first time they'd met, and they started to chat. And Karen got a little window into Jean's world. She was working the lower deck galley on a 747. And I went down the first time I had ever talked to her. And I went down for a break, and we were just talking about our kids. At the time, Jean and Fred's older daughter, Heidi, was six, and Kirsten was two. The family was living on Calpine Drive in Malibu. And there was a lot going on. Jean was telling friends she was madly in love with Fred's friend, Dick Velthoen and that she was miserable with Fred, and that Fred had threatened to kill her if he ever caught her cheating. Jean was stretched thin, falling headlong into a radical self-improvement group called LifeSpring, rapidly losing weight, manically planning her future without Fred, working 12-hour days for United Airlines, and in the gaps, being mom to two young girls. She didn't say any of this to Karen, but she did ask her for some advice. And she said that uh, Heidi was going to have her tonsils taken out the following Friday. And she said, do you think I should take the day off? And I said, well, if it were my daughter, I would. But Jean didn't take Karen's advice. On Friday, she showed up for work to fly the Chicago turn again. And Friday came and she was there. And I said, I thought Heidi was getting her tonsils out. This time, Jean was working in the first-class galley, preparing multi-course meals for a couple dozen passengers. She was acting normal, according to testimony later given by her supervisor on the flight. But the fact that Jean was there at all struck Karen as strange. To be a mom of a six-year-old in a hospital, I think that I would have been more active, you know, or concerned. And she didn't seem to be that, now that I think of it. She was kind of distant. And she said, well, Fred was taking care of it. Fred was taking care of it. He had it handled. That was his style. Organized, meticulous, controlling. Later on, Jean's fellow stewardesses and many of her friends would question what Fred was taking care of and what his motives were. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. 
People don't always realize just how much their negative thoughts and experiences stick with them and weigh them down. You may find your brain constantly running through a highlight reel of bad moments. That comment your friend made last week that hurt your feelings. That frustrating thing your mom does. Or that silly thing you said in a meeting. Maybe it's time to get it all off your chest. Whether it's a tiny annoyance or something much bigger, talking about it can give you some relief and lead you to a potential solution. That's where therapy comes in. It's a safe space to share whatever's weighing you down and learn to process it so your internal highlight reel can focus on the good stuff. And BetterHelp offers affordable online therapy on a schedule that works for you. Connect with a licensed therapist by text, phone, or video call. Start the process in minutes and switch therapist anytime. Let it out with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash loss today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash lost. Hello, hello. Malcolm Gladwell here from Revisionist History, my podcast about the overlooked and the misunderstood. A couple of years ago, I wrote a book called Outliers. It was about exceptional people, the ones who operate at the outer edges of human performance. Outliers fascinate me. And last year, I discovered an outlier in the form of a community organization, Washington State's City of Bellevue. The city wanted to improve public safety by making their roads safer. So they created something that no one had ever built before, a platform that gave road users warnings of any dangers ahead in real time. How did they build it? By using a combination of technologies, the cellular vehicle-to-everything network, T-Mobile's 5G network, and 5G-connected cameras. People driving, bicycling, walking, running, can't forget people running, and people operating the transportation network now had a way to prevent crashes. It's been a huge success. The city of Bellevue earned first place in the community category at the T-Mobile for Business Unconventional Awards, an event that celebrates T-Mobile customers who've dared to innovate for the sake of meaningful change. If you're a T-Mobile for Business customer and your team has, like the city of Bellevue, innovated something really, really cool, I encourage you to enter. It's also a great way for outliers to be recognized in front of your industry's most influential leaders. You can enter at tmobile.com slash unconventional awards. That's tmobile.com slash unconventional awards. See you there. As listeners to this show, you probably consider yourself pretty smart. But how smart is your wallet? When you're looking to upgrade your wallet, it's time to turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds has the financial smarts to help you find the right financial products for you. Before NerdWallet, you might have paid for vacations with whatever was in your wallet. But you could have been missing out on miles you didn't even know you were leaving on the table. Now you can get a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Picture Jean. 
When she met Fred, she was in her late 20s, unmarried. According to one of her friends, she was starting to wonder if she would get married. She was a knockout. Dark hair, slim, athletic frame. Fun-loving, if a bit high-strung. She would probably have been wearing a blue flower-patterned muumuu when she met her future husband on his way back from Hawaii. That was the uniform for United's Honolulu route, which Jean was working at the time. Back then, the airlines nakedly catered to male business travelers, selling the attentive women on the flight as one of the attractions of air travel. On Southwest, the stortus uniform was hot pants and go-go boots. And pretty much across the industry, the rules stipulated no wedding rings. Here's Karen McLean again. When we first started flying, we couldn't be married and we couldn't have kids. Well, you could have kids. They would put them up for adoption. But you couldn't be married, and you had to quit when you were 32. Ironically, the profession was full of ambitious young women who found freedom and independence, financial and otherwise, through working for the airlines. This is Becky Sprecher. She started working for Pan Am in 1972, two weeks after graduating from UNC Chapel Hill. Back then, women were just starting to delay marriage, and they were thinking about maybe going to medical school or law school. The major careers that existed during those days, of course, were being a secretary or being um, a nurse or a teacher or a stewardess. We lived kind of like little rich girls without the trust fund. Um, We stayed in intercontinental hotels, uh, which were wonderful upscale hotels, uh, because Pan Am owned intercontinental hotels. We were young. We were high-spirited. We had, um, I would say, the ideal prescription for a pretty freewheeling lifestyle in the 70s. I mean, we had educations. We had a job. We were making some money. We could fly anywhere in the world. We wanted to go on a discount. And we had birth control. Flying for the airlines was glamorous. Well, back then, um, in the 1970s, um, famous people did fly commercially. That's a big difference between then and now, because now they have their own private aircraft. Becky said a friend of hers on the L.A. to Tahiti route had an unforgettable star sighting. She reported for briefing in Papiete to come back to Los Angeles, and they said, well, um, you have Marlon Brando in first class. And uh, he was married to a Tahitian actress, um, and I think they had a child. He had filmed Mutiny on the Bounty down there and had met her. She was his love interest in the movie. And he flew frequently on Pan Am to L.A. So um, she only had four people in the front. So when they they took off, she sent the other stewardess to the back to help out back there because they, they had a heavier load back there. And uh, she was getting ready to do eggs to order for the passengers. And the next thing she knows, Mr. Brando comes into the galley and said, well, I know how to scramble eggs. I'll, I'll, I'll help with that, which he did. And of course, the passengers were delighted. And after the service was complete, 
he said, well, why don't you sit down and chat? So she sits down beside him. All of our famous people were always in 1A. And she sits down beside him and, and he gives her a shell lay that he had on. And she still has it, by the way. And uh, he lit her cigarette. Now, this was in the days when you could smoke on the plane. And somebody took a picture of him. And it's absolutely the cutest thing in the world. But that kind of thing happened a lot. Then there was the time Becky found herself on a movie set. I was flying with my roommate. And we had some movie producers on the flight out of Los Angeles. They'd come through Honolulu. They had to connect. Um, and they, I said, well, you know, what are you guys doing? Well, we're, we're making a movie that's being directed by Francis Ford Coppola. And I said, oh, okay, you know, well, what is it? And they said, well, it's based on Joseph Conrad's novel, Heart of Darkness. And it was, it was Apocalypse Now. And they invited us up to the set, if you can imagine. Uh, it was supposed to be uh, Natrang, and um, this um, young actor who had just arrived, it was his first day on the set, we flew up there with him, and it was Martin Sheen. And I've never been on a movie set before or since, but that was um, an incredibly educational experience, let's say. Um, it was a crazy kind of environment. And of course, we all know that in the 70s, there was a lot of cocaine and a lot of drugs on movie sets, and this was no exception. According to Becky, even though the airline industry trafficked in stereotypes about women and catered to male clientele, it was also a hotbed of second-wave feminism. It used to be that you could, um, you could not be married and fly. And they sued, and they got that changed. Uh, you couldn't have children and fly. So they sued, and that was changed. So I think that they were really sort of trailblazing and in a, in a profession where you had to be uh, put on the scales and you were hired for how you looked and you had to wear makeup and all of that. It was a very, uh, it, was a, it was a big contradiction. And we were the most independent of women because we could go anywhere in the world that we wanted to go. So wait a minute, you guys had to get weighed in? <laughs> we did. That did go by the wayside later on, but uh, they uh, put you on the scales every now and then to make sure you uh, weren't getting too heavy. I was 5'3", and the weight maximum, I think, was 115 with your clothes on. So um, we would starve for a few days when we knew we were meeting with our supervisors <laughs> to... Uh, make sure that we, you know, weren't over the maximum. They put, would put you on weight check, and you had to go in and weigh every two weeks. Jean, who gave birth to Heidi in 1970, was a pioneer of the new policy that allowed women to resume flying after they'd had kids. I remember they were called the returning mothers, and I, the first ones maybe I saw were in 72, 73, right around in there. That turned the job into a career because people could combine having families with flying. Before, it had been sort of a lark 
for a year or two to find a husband and get married um, and leave, you know, and quit. But um, now they were combining it with raising their families. Having a decent paying job with good benefits, that would have been a source of stability for Jean as she contemplated leaving Fred. She had a career and some financial wherewithal. Through United, Jean also had a $24,000 life insurance policy, which five months before her death had been changed to make Fred the beneficiary and, if he predeceased her, named Heidi and Kirsten co-beneficiaries. When Jean died, there were a number of women who knew how troubled her marriage was and how scared she was of Fred. Jean was a sharer, and back then being a flight attendant, you were part of a sisterhood. We, we called it jump seat therapy. You know, when everybody was asleep and you finally sat down with a cup of coffee on the jump seat and started talking to a friend of yours that you hadn't flown with for a long time and you got caught up on their families and how things were going or who they were dating. Jean's flight attendant friends were saddened and confused by her death. And more than that, they were alarmed. Had Fred done this to her and made it seem like an accident? Hello, hello. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. In my book, David and Goliath, I tried to figure out how some people find the strength to take on the established way of thinking and turn it upside down. What does it take to be a disruptor? And I concluded that a disruptor is someone with a rare combination of three traits. First, you have to be open. You have to be willing to see and do things in new ways. Secondly, you have to be conscientious, to follow through and make things happen. Those two are obvious. But the third one is the crucial one. You have to be willing to do what you think is right, even when everyone around you thinks you're an idiot. There isn't a brilliant innovator in history who wasn't surrounded by naysayers. Most of us can't take that kind of criticism, and we fold. But the disruptor doesn't. They soldier on. I've been looking at disruptors and their success stories a lot lately, partly because I'm working on a follow-up to the tipping point. The market disruption plays a key role in how ideas take off but also because I'm going to be the keynote speaker at this year's Unconventional Awards from T-Mobile for Business. It's an event where customers are recognized for kicking convention to the curb to elevate their company, while also doing meaningful things for their community and even the world. In fact, I'll be presenting the first ever Tipping Point designation, a new special distinction honoring one entrant that sparked transformative change for their organization this event sounds like your thing, I encourage you to find out more or even enter the unconventional awards to be recognized for your disruptive thinking. Win a donation to a charity of your choice and much more. You can enter before July 31st at tmobile.com slash unconventional awards. That's tmobile.com slash unconventional awards. I'll save you a seat. As listeners to this show, you probably consider yourself pretty smart. But how smart is your wallet? When you're looking to upgrade your wallet, it's time to turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds has the financial smarts to help you find the right financial products for you. Before NerdWallet, you might have paid for vacations with whatever was in your wallet. But you could have been missing out on miles you didn't even know you were leaving on the table. Now you can get a new card with more miles and more upgrades. 
What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. When homicide detectives went to interview Fred about the deaths of his second wife, Verna, and his stepson, Doug, in 1981, one of the many things they found strange was that Fred wanted them to read a document he'd typed up about the death of his first wife, Jean. I'm going to read a little bit of it because it's so deliberate, so oddly specific. It uses military time, like Fred is writing out a report for his day job at the naval base at Point Magoo. The document is titled, Accident Narrative. October 15th, 76, 0400 hours. Jean and I woke up to the alarm clock. She got dressed and started her makeup. I put coffee on and sat in her bathroom talking as she put her makeup on. 0530, Jean left for Los Angeles International Airport for a turnaround flight to Chicago. I showered, feed dogs, and prepared a bag for Kirsten to take to babysitters. 0730, took Kirsten to babysitters and went on to Los Robles Hospital in Thousand Oaks to be with Heidi while she had her tonsils and adenoids removed. 1700 hours, feed Heidi popsicle, jello, and more fruit juice. Read to her, then put her back to bed. 1930, in process of changing Kirsten into pajamas when Jean got in from her trip. 2000, Jean played with Kirsten and finished putting her to bed. Jean and I sat in kitchen and I gave her my report on Heidi. Discussed her trip while I fixed myself some soup. While the soup was heating, I went out and turned on the tub heater. And then Fred's clipped, matter-of-fact description of parenting and spousing shifts into a more expansive register. 2200 hours. Jean shut off the house lights and came out. We sat in the... There's a word missing here and I assume he forgot to write hot tub discussing the phone call and Heidi for about 15 minutes. Jean sat up on the edge of the tub and said she was hot, then asked what I was drinking. I said I had a swallow of beer left, and she drank it. She then said she would really like a glass of wine. I said okay and got out of the tub. She said, would you mind checking Kirsten as she does not have her usual three diapers on? I said okay, and she kissed me and said, thank you, honey. Jean was still sitting on the edge of the tub when I walked away. Walked up to the house and into Kirsten's room. She was soaked, so I changed her and put her back to bed. Went into the kitchen and pulled a new bottle of wine, used a cork puller to open it, grabbed two glasses and some ice, turned off the kitchen light, and went outside. At this point, Fred's style becomes almost novelistic. My eyes were not used to the darkness, and I slowly scuffed along the walk towards the tub. I called out softly, 
Jean for no real reason when I was halfway there. I was not surprised when I heard no answer, as the low bubbling of the tub usually masked low conversation. Then I went over to the tub, saw she was not there, and saw the German shepherd and Jean at the same time. Jean was face down in the pool with her arms outstretched, hands a few feet away from the wide, built-in steps of the pool. The dog was crouched down, just looking at her, not making a sound. After pulling Jean out of the pool, Fred started mouth-to-mouth. The paramedics arrived and took her to Westlake Hospital. She was brain-dead. Fred's friends and supporters would call it the United Airlines rumor mill, this engine of disquiet that started to hum. Saturday morning, Karen McLean's phone rang. She'd flown with Jean the day before, and she happened to live near the hospital where Jean was being treated in the ICU. I was living in Westlake Village, and a friend of mine called, and she said, uh, have you heard about Jean? And I said, no. And she said she drowned last night. And she said she's supposed to be at Westlake Hospital. Can you go over and see if you can find something out? Karen was shocked, but things only got more confusing once she got to the hospital. So I went over to the hospital, and I ended up talking to a nurse. And I just said, you know, could you tell me what room Jean Roller is in? But she couldn't get in to see Jean, who was being kept alive on a respirator. And she couldn't find any of Jean's family. And Jean's dad was a, a pilot, and I think her sister, Linda, uh, was a flight attendant. So I went over to the hospital thinking that somebody would be there, and nobody was there. Jean's sisters later told detectives that Fred was running point, making the medical decisions, and keeping them out of the loop. So Karen came back from the hospital empty-handed, no information to share with the other flight attendants. And then nothing was ever said. It was very hushed up. Barbara Warner, a fellow flight attendant, feared the worst. She'd been roommates with Jean before Jean's marriage, and they were still extremely close. She told investigators in 1981 that Jean's death, five years earlier, still didn't sit right with her. She knew too much to take Fred's story at face value. Here's Barbara talking to an investigator about the morning after Jean's drowning. I got home from a trip on Saturday after the Friday incident of Jean drowning. Uh-huh. Um, and my first question to Linda was, Linda, was Fred involved in this? And she said, Barbara, at this point, I don't know. I'm at the airport. I haven't gotten to the hospital yet. I don't know anything. Jean had told Barbara and others that Fred was threatening her, saying if she cheated on him, he'd kill her. And she was cheating on him. She was in love with his friend, Dick. Well, if, <coughs> excuse me, if Fred uh, said that he was going to kill her if he ever caught her fooling around, uh, did, you don't think he had an idea that she was fooling around? He may have been, I would say, toward the end, uh, before her death, I would say that he was beginning to feel helpless because he knew at that point that the marriage was so bad then, Fred left for Hawaii on a long work trip. And I think that when Fred went to Kauai, I knew, I think he really knew that things were in desperate straits. Barbara told the investigator that Jean had visited her the month before she died and had told her she was going to leave Fred when he got back. 
I do think that they had talked about separating before. Fred wouldn't have anything to do with it. Was it possible that on the night of October 15th, before she drowned, Jean had raised the subject with Fred again, this time saying her decision was final? Now, is she the kind of person that once she sat down to talk to Fred, that she would uh, tell him that she had been having an affair and everything? Or uh, I often, to be honest with you, I've often wondered that myself. In that fatal night, that she was so tired. She'd flown that Chicago turnaround on a Friday, which I can't tell you what that does to your body and your mind. She could see how Jean, in exasperation, might have just blurted out the truth about her feelings for Dick, with horrifying consequences. But see, that's all speculation. No one will ever know that, unfortunately. Fred was never charged with killing Jean. He maintains his innocence, and he continues to serve a life sentence without the possibility of parole for the murders of Verna and Doug. Lost Hills is written and reported by me, Dana Goodyear. It's created by me and Ben Adair and is a production of Western Sound and Pushkin Industries. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you. And how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com. The tradition of breaking tradition continues with the return of the unconventional awards from T-Mobile for Business at Mobile World Congress. This is an event that celebrates innovators whose bold actions took their industries to new places. If that sounds like you and you're a T-Mobile for Business customer, enter today. If you win, you'll be publicly honored amongst some of the most influential leaders in industry. And me, I'll be there too. Enter now at tmobile.com slash unconventional awards. See you there. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org.